Right now? There we go. I didn't want to uh, end up in heaven there early. Okay. Now, they've... Is this supposed to come up? This is your fault, Matthew. Okay. Auditorium? Yeah. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. I try. You try? All right. Play from start. Yeah, okay. Now, I had a little gizmo here. There it is. Uh, if you have your Bible, could you turn to the Colossians again this morning? We did this the last time we were here. I'm not going to review all we did, but I'll just work it, walk my way through it a bit so I'll give you an idea. And uh, let me do that with you this morning quickly. And then bring you to, to where we're going to be this morning. Colossians chapter 1. And I just want to read a few verses. Verse 15. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him are all things created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were uh, sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled in, this, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Uh, a wonderful portion of scripture is centering on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we will get to there this morning as we walk through this thing. The book of Colossians, I don't know if this is going to work or not. Okay, we'll try this. In the book of Colossians then, <clears throat> you have the area where it was. It was in Asia Minor. Uh, there it is, and also around it was Heropolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. It was in the little, uh, little valley there uh, in, uh, the, by the river Lycus and also the Meander rivers. Uh, these, these areas here, Heropolis, Laodicea, Colossae, were not that far from each other. And so they were a little triad there of little communities. And uh, a number of them were Jews and Gentiles especially, in Colossae, rich mineral area, and uh, it's located in Asia Minor. Anyhow, we'll go on and see if this works. It's not working. Leave that there. And then <clears throat> we talked about the city of Colossae, the church at Colossae, the crisis at Colossae, and the correspondence at Colossae. And we talked about the city there where it was located, and uh, many Jews there and so forth. The church. Uh, Paul didn't plant it. They never saw his face. Chapter 2, Colossians verse 1, they didn't see his face. So he didn't plant the church. Who planted it? Epaphras. You read about him in the book. And some of the commentators suggest that Epaphras also 
established the book of Hierapolis, or the church at Hierapolis, Laodicea, and also Colossae. So thank God for men like Epaphras. It reminds me of a guy called Sven Christensen. He used to go around planting churches all over assemblies here and there. Thank God for men like that, a wonderful man of God, amen. Faithful servants of God, ministers of the word of God. And so the church was planted by Epaphras, and then there was a crisis there. He was a man, Epaphras, who was kind of insightful because he saw that there was something coming down the pike. It didn't seem right. And so therefore, uh, he was wondering what was going on at the church, and there was a false heretic teaching coming in, and he was catching it at the beginning. And so therefore, in order to deal with it, he goes to Paul, who is in Rome, and he wants to get information of how to deal with the situation. It was called Gnosticism. And I won't have to go into all of that again this morning about what all that was. But the whole idea was they were attack, attacking the adequacy of Christ. Hence, hence, they were attacking the adequacy of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Hence, Paul then does these verses that we read this morning, bringing Christ to the forefront and showing to them, no, 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 it's not what you believe, it's what teaching and divine revelation regarding the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and also creation, not a problem there too, and so forth, and how the world came into being. And so he's trying to correct this heretical teaching called Gnosticism. They, they taught mysticism, asceticism, legalism, and philosophy. And if they had a got, a, got their way, the church would have become a, a philosophy instead of a Christian church. And so therefore he has to deal with error right away. And by, beloved, by the way, we need to attack, uh, not attack, but we need to uh, combat, we need to go in and, and check these things, make sure they're, uh, they're the word of God and the truth. And so he was the man who went over, and Paul with divine authority, because he's an apostle. And anyhow, he comes and he deals with the situation, sorry, he writes to them uh, an epistle, and uh, he writes that to them in regards to this heresy. Correspondence is through Epaphras, Antichicus, and so forth, and Nasimus, Philemon. They're all in Colossae, all these particular believers that you've heard of before. Now, Paul's epistles, we're in Colossians is one of them, but Paul's epistles, uh, you can break them up into four areas. This is preparatory epistles, where he talks in Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Those are preparatory, foundational absolutely critical to the teaching of what the church believes. So that's very important. Foundational. He gets those foundations. for. That's why you have the book of Romans after the book of Acts. The first epistle of Paul was not Romans. It was Thessalonians. But they put Romans there because of the foundational structure of it. And they want to get us to be grounded in the word of God and foundational truth. So he talks about preparatory epistles. Then he talks about what we call perfection epistles, meaning moving you and I on to maturity. The word perfection, the idea of bringing us and developing us in the Christian life and our conduct and character and moving us on to maturity. So it's moving us onward, forward, higher uh, in the things of God so that we become more Christ-like in our conduct and character down here in the world. And so those are the epistles he talks about here. And then he talks about... <clears throat> Prophetic, he, he deals with the prophetic. He deals with the Lord's return. Also, he deals with the rapture, and he's dealing with both aspects there of the Lord's return. 
So First and Second Thessalonians are those epistles that he deals with primarily with prophetic themes. And then he writes personal epistles to individuals like Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, but also you and I can glean in the assembly wonderful truths also regarding what he wrote to personal epistle to these young men. So there's much teaching there. Now Paul wrote 13 epistles. Some say he wrote Hebrews. That makes 14. If you believe he wrote Hebrews. 14, uh, seven times two. Seven is a perfect number. Two is a number of witness. Paul gives you and I a wonderful, perfect witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. None other gives a perfect witness like he does. So that's the epistles of Paul. Now we go into the body of the truth. We go into Colossians. Paul's preface or prelude is found in verses 1 and 2. A prelude is an introductory remark. Before he gets into the body of the truth he wants to teach, he gives introductory remark, introduces you to the people, where they live, and so forth. That's what he's doing. And so he gets into it. Paul, an apostle, verse 1. He's an apostle. Uh, the word apostle, uh, if you remember, the word epistle means to send to. He's sending them a letter, Colossians. He's sending them epistle. So he's sending to them an epistle. That's what the word means. And then apostolos, uh, the word apostle, apostolos, means to send from. And of course, he is sent from the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus himself is the apostle who was sent from the Father uh, to, to the world. And so you have the word apostle in those words. Now I'm just doing this quickly. And then in the preface also, he was an apostle by the what? By the will of God. He didn't make himself an apostle. He's not a self-appointed apostle. He's a divinely called an apostle. Uh, you'll read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And you'll read it here in the text of Colossians 1 verse 1. He's, he's a, an apostle by the will of God. An appointed, uh, uh, divinely called an apostle. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1 and so forth. Then we go on and it says this. And Timotheus, Timotheus our brother. I think that's a lovely touch. A div, uh, here's a man with divine authority. And yet he humbles himself and comes down to where it was to the level of this young servant of God called Timothy. And in Philippines, if you read about it, he says, I have no man who is like-minded as Timothy is. He really loved Timothy. They were soulmates. They were like David and Jonathan type of an aspect of friendship. And so that's what Timothy was to Paul as helping him as a faithful minister in the things of the Lord. So he thought very highly of this young man, and he includes him in the son of his faith. He refers to him as a brother in Christ. I think it's a lovely touch from the apostle. And then you go on to the saints. Uh, it says to saints and faithful brethren. The idea is not two groups of people. The word uh, and can be even, even the faithful brethren in Christ to the saints. And uh, this is a body of saints this morning. Trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. You become a saint. Isn't that lovely? You know who's preaching for you this morning? Saint John McKim. <laughs> I'm a saint. I didn't make myself a saint. Nobody makes themselves saints. No church can make you a saint. No, whether it's John MacArthur's church, whether it's David Jeremiah's church, no church, whether it's the charismatic church, the Pentecostal church, the Baptist church, nobody can make you a saint, no church. God is the one who makes saints, amen? 
and we're made saints this side of heaven, after you're dead, it's far too late. You need to be a saint today. That's important. That's the gospel. We can be saints. Thank God. Amen. Even Luke's a saint over here. Saint Luke. That's all right. Saint Ime. He's from where are you, Nigeria? That said, he's a saint from Nigeria. Isn't that wonderful? I'm a saint from Ireland. Saints are from all over the world, Birch. It doesn't matter. Listen, brother, it doesn't matter what color, class, or creed. It makes no difference. Once you're in Christ Jesus, you become a saint. Isn't that lovely? Now, here's the wonderful truth. We'll go on about this. That's their spiritual position. It says they were in Christ, verse 1. They were in Christ. That's their spiritual position. When you get saved, God takes you out of Adam and places you in Christ. Adam's the federal head of the old creation. Jesus is the head of a new creation. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Wonderful position to be in. That's what God does for us. The moment we get saved, we are positionally placed in Christ and we become saints. Isn't that nice? So these are the saints at Colossae who are in Christ Jesus. And then we go on. Their graf geographical location was in Colossae. You are the saints here at Northbrook. And so that's your location geographically. <clears throat> now, let's go on. To the saints, the word saint is a noun. It's a noun form of the verb to sanctify. And that word comes from sanctification. And uh, I did a little touch on this. And that's this. There are three aspects to sanctification. We'll deal with it in a minute. I want to just bypass all that. Positional sanctification is the moment you get saved, God places you in Christ. The sanctification means to set apart. The moment you get saved, God set you apart for himself. That's, he sanctified you. Positional sanctification. And then practical sanctification is how I conduct myself down here. Now that I'm set apart by God, what should be my character, my conduct down here? It's simply this, our practical sanctification. The word sanctification means to set apart. Now you and I set ourselves apart unto God, unto holiness. That's the type of life he wants. Amen? That's the life that you can walk and please God with, is practical sanctification. I will leave that for now. You can go into those verses and see all those words were sanctified. Sanctification is mentioned. And we do it through the truth of God. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. We're sanctified through the truth of the word of God. We're sanctified as we yield ourselves to the spirit of God. And as we do so, that means we walk with the Lord in fellowship. Amen? And in doing that, you're walking in the light as he is in the light. And so you're walking with God, and therefore, to walk with God, you ought to be pleasing God. That's what's happening. If you're walking in the darkness, you're not pleasing God. But if you walk in the light, you're pleasing God. So that's a wonderful truth, how we can please God. Do the things, obey the word. And do the things that are pleasing to God. And my dear friend, that fellowship will be contained. Amen? Day by day, each moment, you'll be in fellowship with the Lord. And then there's the last one. Perfect sanctification. And that means really perfect. One day he will present you faultless before his presence. Totally separated from sin completely forever. Amen? What a wonderful prospect for the child of God. Wonderful. Sanctification. 
is the aspect there. Now, quickly. So now we go this morning and we look at Paul's praise of the saints. I like that because Paul stops. And what I like about this is this. He stops to give thanksgiving. Isn't that nice? Look at the verses with us. Let's go over and look at them. <clears throat> Chapter 1 again. See, look, I'm out of breath now. You know what that is? That's old age creeping on. I'm out of breath walking back and forth now. I used to be able to run up and down and get off the pew. That's gone, brother. That's all gone. That's because we're, we're getting on an age. Verse 3, you notice it? We give what? Thanks. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks. Go right through the whole book. You'll see him giving thanks. Giving thanks. Friend, listen. It's good to stop throughout the week and give thanks back to God. Amen? Whatever the blessings he's given to you, whatever it may be, and friend, he's given us a, an abundance of blessings. We could stop and say, Lord, thank you. I appreciate all the blessings. And he's blessed you and I with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are a blessed people. Amen? You are a blessed people. And you want to stay blessed? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn. But what his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. And as God blesses you, you can be a blessing to somebody else this week. You can be a blessing to someone. You can thank God for the blessings you've received and now you can pass on maybe some of the blessings you've received, whether it be monetarily or whatever, you can pass that on to somebody else and help them in need. That's the good works he's talking about. We should develop in our Christian walk. Amen? Various areas, that's only one of the things. Praying for somebody who's in need. Praying for somebody who's hurting. And there have been people here this morning hurting. I've already prayed with them. They're hurting. Their families are in hospital. Their families that are sick. And I was able to put my arm around a sister this morning and pray for her brother. You see, we can help one another and be a blessing to somebody in their need. Amen. Take the time to do it. Lift the phone and call somebody. I just got a letter back from Earltown. Anybody know where Earltown is? You nearly miss it on the map. It's so small. I go up there to preach. There's about six or seven of them. You go there to preach, don't you? You don't go to Earltown to preach? We'll have to get you there because <laughs> there's about six or seven of them and they meet every Sunday evening. And they've been doing it for years. His sister now is there, Audrey, Marty Murphy. Pray for her, okay? She's in good hands. But listen, six or seven people. One of the people's called Mabel. I came home from the meeting the other week, two weeks ago. Mabel wasn't in the service. And my heart was burdened for her. I came home, back to St. John. And I, through that week... I, the Lord was actually saying, John, write to her, write to her. I'm being prodded. And so I took my pen out 
And I started writing to Mabel a lovely letter. Praying for you, Mabel. Miss you in the meeting. I hope you're well. And uh, just this is just to let you know we're thinking about you at this time. A day or two later, Audrey and Murphy called me. And they just had finished one of their meetings. And anyhow, they were on the phone and they said, John, we received a wonderful blessing. I said, you did? What, what happened? They said, you were the blessing. I said, I was the blessing? What do you mean? Oh, so they said, you wrote a letter to Mabel. He says, Mabel has been in depression for weeks and she couldn't get out of it. And she says, when she got her, your letter, it just lifted her right up and she's back at the meeting again. And the last time we were there, guess who was there? Mabel. And do you know what she did? She sent me a letter the following week with a lovely card that she made with her own hand. How old is she? She must be near 80. And she wrote a lovely card, did it all herself, and sent it back to us and said, John, you were a blessing to me. You can be a blessing to somebody just by simply taking time to write a card. Amen? That's the way it works. Let's go on. So here we are here, and Paul gives thanks for the saints, what God was doing in their lives. And you can see it here. So first of all, notice the words. If you've got your Bible, look at the word. Verse 4, since we heard, you should mark that word down, heard of your what? Your faith. So we heard of your faith. Let's go on. Number 2, watch the verse. And of the what? And of the love to some of the brethren, to few of the brethren. <laughs> it's a lovely little word, isn't it? To all the brethren. You see it there? And of your love which you have to all the saints all the brethren. Verse 5, and for the, what? The hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And Paul says, uh, you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. You embraced it. And now I'm hearing of your faith. That's a wonderful truth. Now let's tackle those three things quickly. Number one, they had a faith that was not secret. Others heard of their faith. You, you see the words? Uh, we heard of your faith. Even the apostle Paul was hearing of the faith of the Colossians. And that's a wonderful thing also. Their faith was steadfast. It was established. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, join and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. Paul was hearing of the steadfastness of the faith of the Colossians. Now let's go on to verse, uh, let me give you another part of that, verse 6 and 7. Uh, and you have therefore received Christ Jesus, verse 6, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. And so Paul was hearing about the Colossians, they're abounding in thanksgiving. It's coming out of them, and it's coming into the community, and it's overflowing. And people were beginning to hear about their faith. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When was the last time somebody heard of your faith? And my faith? Now, I'm not sending a guilt trip on you. Please don't think I'm doing that. That's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is it'd be nice for you and me just to meditate and ask the Lord, Lord, bring somebody across my path today so that I can share the Lord with you. Maybe somebody on the plane when you're flying. 
Maybe somebody in the grocery store. Right? Maybe somebody next door to you. That's all. Just tell them what happened to you. What's wrong with that? Tell them about your faith. Share it. Let people hear about it. As some people talk about secret believers. I don't know what that means. What's a secret believer? You know who was a secret believer? Turn to John chapter 19. John 19. <clears throat> it's somewhere in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 19. And here's a verse, verse 38. And after this, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but what? Secretly. See, he was holding it back. Don't forget now, he's Jewish. Don't forget. For him to come out and say Jesus is the Messiah, that's something hard for him. You have to understand where he's coming from. And for this man to come out and say Jesus is the Messiah and to embrace him and to ask for his body when he was crucified, that was a big step for him because he had to come out of the closet. He couldn't stay in the closet anymore. He had to come out and tell the truth and he embraced Christ. And he's coming out and testifying and witnessing to the people around him. I love this man. I want him. I'm taking him. I'm going to take him and bury him properly. And he did so. Him along with Nicodemus. He's another one who came out into the open. He went, came to Jesus first by night. But now he's in the, the daylight. Now he's coming out. No more secrets. And coming out into the open. Amen. My friend, you get that in the sports world. I see it all the time. And a guy scores a goal in the Premier League. I used to play semi-pro soccer. I know all about the Premier League. I know about the World Cup. I love soccer. And I remember Daniel Sturridge from Liverpool. When he scores a goal, he goes like this. Thank you, Lord. And he does it, and he's not secret about it. And in the dressing room, he talks about Jesus. I read his story. He's not afraid to tell people. Why would you be afraid to tell people who's, of one who has delivered you, one who has saved you, one who's rescued you and me from eternal damnation? Why wouldn't we want to tell somebody about him? Why wouldn't we want to share our, share our faith? Amen? They had a faith that was not secret. I think that's a nice touch. You see, Saul of Tarsus also was Jewish. And when he trusted Jesus as a savior, in Hebrew, he would have been called a Meshumid. A Meshumid means traitor. He was a traitor of Judaism because he's gone on to the other side. Did you know that when a Jewish person sometimes, when they believe in Jesus, do you know this? They can be excommunicated from the synagogue. They can be excommunicated from their friends. They can lose business because of their stand for Jesus. Did you know that? They not only that, even some of their families have a burial for them and it's symbolical burial. Even a symbolical burial saying they're dead to us, no longer part of us. Sometimes that's what they have to take, to take a step for Jesus. This is what this man is doing. 
He's coming out right into the open. And he says, I'm a follower of Jesus. Isn't that lovely? Let's go on quickly. They had a love which was not partial, and that's another lovely touch. I would think that if I was in this church, I would say that the Holy Spirit of God was in control. Would you not? When you see love to one another, because that's what Jesus said we should do. Love one another as I have loved you. And so you, you, you reach out to your friends, you reach out to the family of God, and you show love to one another. No gossiping, no telling tales about people. No, 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 no. No saying, I'm going to tell you, you might, uh, might want to pray but uh, for so-and-so because there's some suspicions about her. No, no, there was nothing like that going on. There was something beautiful about this church. There was nothing local or sectarian about their love. They didn't love only those of their own fellowship either. But wherever they found true believers, they, their love flowed out freely and warmly. And beloved, this morning, that should be a lesson to us. Our love should not be narrow. It should not be limited. It should not be to our own local gathering. It's not just a group of brethren. Assemblies, no. There's Baptists and there's other people who are in the family of God, who are his sheep. We need to recognize this. Amen? You should say a big amen for that one. Absolutely. They're not our sheep. They're his. We didn't die for them. He did. He gathers the family. It's him. And so therefore, we need to recognize the body of Christ. We should recognize the sheep of Christ wherever they are found and manifest our affection to them whenever possible. Do you know when you do that, you know what it does? It shows the evidence of true salvation when you have loved one to another. <clears throat> agape love, that's the word. Agape love means it's a love wherewith God loved you and me, even when we were dead in sin. <laughs> oh, man, that's a lovely love, isn't it? Therefore, our love to one another is but a reflection of the love which God has towards us. In other words, it's the love that is produced in the heart of the believer, the yielded saint, by the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 5 and verse 5. It's a true evidence of a child of God. By the way, it's also an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one on the fruit? Love. Love. Very important. Love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. Love to the saints, not to those of some special class. By the way, this is what's happening in the letter. You see, the Gnostics were saying, we are the intellectual ones. That's what the word gnosis means. It means we're the intellectual ones. We're the ones that have truth. And what he's saying is this, you are the dulls. We are the brights. We're the intellectuals. My friend, if you're going to say that, you know what you're saying? That only the intellectual, intellectuals can be saved. That's a false gospel. False gospel. And this is why he's saying that. It's a false gospel. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Can I turn this thing on? 
It says turn it on there. It's not coming on. How come it's not obedient? There it is. First John chapter 2. Please look at verse 5. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. That's how you know you're in him. When our love is perfected. Let's go on. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had, you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there's no occasion of stumbling in him. That's a wonderful evidence of true salvation. Now look at chapter 4, 1 John. Did you drink out of this, Amy? Can I drink out of this? There's goobers in here. Verse 10. Sorry, verse yeah, 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to what? Love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected what? In us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And that's one of the evidences of the Spirit of God within, that we love one another. Wonderful truth. Love, their love was, uh, their love was, uh, they had a love which was not partial. They loved the saints. Beloved, listen, please. We're in a time where there's a lot of battling going on among the saints. We need to drop all that stuff properly. I'm not talking about dealing with false doctrine and stuff. You have to deal with that. But I'm talking about fundamentally sound people. We should love one another as Christ loved us. It's a reflection of the love of God in us. Here's a third thing, and uh, probably the last thing. They had a what? A hope that was not misplaced. <clears throat> they had a hope that was not misplaced. For the hope, verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. So if something's laid up for you in heaven, it can't be heaven itself. It's laid up for you in heaven. There's a difference in the terminology. And uh, the idea then is, what is laid up for us in heaven? Let me just try and touch on that for a moment. What is led up for us in heaven? Look at verse 27. Colossians 1 and verse 27. 
to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you, which is why Christ in you. You see that? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Or Christ among you. The hope of glory. Where's Jesus today? He's in heaven. So, how can he be in you and me? All at the same time. I'll tell you how. Please listen carefully. He talked to his disciples in what they call the Olivet Discourse, John 14 to 17. This is a private talking. It's no more public. He's moved out of the public scene. He's now coming privately to his own. And he wants to communicate truth to them because he's going to go away. And he's going to tell them, I'm going away. And when I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter, another of the same kind. Not another of a different kind. Another of, a, of the same kind. Alos, not heteros. Heteros means a different kind. Alos means one of the same kind. That's what the word another means. And so he says, I'm going to send you another of the same kind. And he would send him the comforter. <laughs> and that's who he would send him. He would send him the comforter. And he will abide with you forever. And thank God. We're now sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The evidence is in us of Christ, yes, but it's through the Holy Spirit that he reveals Christ to us. It's a beautiful truth. He's in heaven because he's coming back from heaven. Let's turn to Titus chapter 2, quickly. Titus chapter 2. I think that's the verse, yeah. You know, I love it when you have no evening service. It means I can go here to 12.30 or 1 o'clock. It's lovely. Hebrews, uh, 1 Timothy. Oh, my. What did I say? Titus? Titus chapter 2. What is their hope? My hope's led up for me in heaven. What is my hope? Jesus. That's where he is. But he's not going to be there all the time. He's not going to be there all the time. He's coming what? Again. That's my hope. My hope is Christ. My hope is in the Lord. Amen? Who gave himself for me. Who paid the price for all my sin at Calvary. No merit of my own. It's all his. His righteousness. His grace. His mercy. His whatever. All Him. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2.10, you are complete in Him. You don't need nothing else but Christ. He's all you need. All you need for time and for eternity. You're complete in Him. Wonderful truth. Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. My dear friend, we're waiting for Christ coming from heaven. That's our hope. That's the Colossians' hope. That's your hope. That's Northbrook's hope. That's every saint of God's hope who are in Christ Jesus. 
It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You and I are waiting for our hope from heaven. It's now laid up for us in heaven. And one day, Jesus is coming. He's my hope. He not only begun salvation's work in me, he's coming back a second time to complete it so that you and your spirit, soul, and body will enter in full eternal salvation and your body will be changed like unto his glorious body. There's yet a wonderful destiny for the child of God. That's the hope that you and I have. And that hope is the predestined purpose of God for the child of God. What is the predestined purpose for you and me? What is the goal? What is the end? What is the purpose of Christ saving us? That we might be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, what a destiny is yours and mine. When we, when we see him, we shall be what? Like him. Hallelujah. What a saving. He's going to complete what he started in you. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm just starting, so uh, I didn't get to my text, <laughs> which is normal. Anyhow, I'm just going to wrap this up. Uh, this all came to them through the essence of the gospel. All of this hope, this love, this faith, this joy, and all of these things and blessings, all of it come flowing to them through the gospel. What a message. It can transform and change lives. That's the only thing that can do it, is the gospel. That's why it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth. Wonderful blessings through the gospel. Now you think, listen, watch this. The gospel is a gospel, verse 5. The gospel is truth, verse 5. The gospel is universal, verse 5. It's to every man, right? Not just to the intellectual ones. It's to every man, warning every man, teaching every man, so that we may present every man. He uses the word three times because he's talking against the Gnostics who said it's only the intellectual ones can get saved. No, Paul says it's for every man. That's what good, good preaching, isn't it? Every man, every man, every man, three times to make the emphasis what he's trying to get across. Not just for intellectuals. Thank God he's for every man. Amen? Universal. Watch. The gospel is productive. It brings forth fruit. Look at verse 6. All of these words are in the text. I'm not just drawing them out of my head. They're in the text. And, and it brings forth fruit. Look at verse 6. Which is come unto you as it is in all the world. And bringeth forth fruit as it does so in you. Since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So you have the word truth, you have the world, universal, you have all the grace of God, you have the love of God, you have the faith in Christ, it's all in the gospel. This is what came to them, the essence of